everyone. My name is, is Allison Lee. That's Mrs. Lee to all my students out there. It's kind of a gloomy Wednesday morning, um, but I am here and I am ready to talk history with you. And I am super happy that you are joining me on this maiden voyage, this first episode of Hushed Up American History with Mrs. Lee. So I'm psyched. This is going to be a podcast that takes a look at history that isn't always talked about or sometimes kind of like glossed over or that we don't have a lot of details on. Um, So we're going to look at all sorts of topics together. We're going to go through and we're going to look at lots of different events that happened in American history. And we're going to really unearth some insane things that happened in our past So we're going to start off. I figured what better way to kick off this podcast than with an episode set in the late 1940s. I love this time period. Um, So we're actually today, our very first topic today is going to be um, the post-World War II GI Bill. So we're going to talk about this not only because it's a really important topic, but it's also set in a time period that I start with when I teach my own kids at school. So we start with post-World War II when I teach in my classroom. So I've been spending a lot of time looking at this kind of time in history because it's summer and I'm getting ready for um, next year and all of my new things that I'm going to sprinkle into my curriculum. So that's where my brain's at. So that's where we're going to, that's where we're going to start today. So let's travel back. We're going to travel back to the 1900s. So America has been through some stuff in this last half a decade. So since the turn of the century, America has gone through eight presidents, a stock market crash triggers a great depression. Um, We get a world war, Then a second world war 20 years later, there's just a lot that's been going on. So America's ready for a break. It needs a break. And that finally comes at the conclusion of World War II. So right now we're just setting things up. So there are a few reasons America's doing pretty well post-World War II. So America comes out of the war on top as one of the world's big superpowers. So this is a big deal because it means we're a big player when it comes to things like politics or economics or you know military things like that. So America's really lucky because it fights much of this World War II overseas. So we have of course the attack on Pearl Harbor um, that happens in Hawaii, but that was really the only major like boots on the ground attack that happens in America in World War II. Everything else happens abroad. So um, this means that America can really focus its energy on manufacturing things for the war instead of home front fighting. So this shift in focus to manufacturing wartime stuff, wartime items, was super successful. It was really successful. And we see many Americans who are not fighting in the war, they get in on this manufacturing action. So think of the campaigns like um, getting women to make uh, wartime products and um, doing jobs that they traditionally wouldn't work in um, if it wasn't a war. So think like Rosie the Riveter. Looking at you, Rosie, this is where she comes in. So because America is putting such a big emphasis on manufacturing, we start to see jobs increase. 
So in fact, we see the unemployment rate in America go from around 25% in 1933. Thanks a lot, Great Depression. That's like a ginormous number. It plummets to 1.2% in 1944. So this is still a record low for our country, which is bananas. 1.2%, like that's crazy. Um, So everyone's working. We have like tons of people working. People can get jobs. Um, And when people are working they make money. And when people make money, they want to spend that money. And this makes for a healthy economy. And this is a really good thing. Okay, so let's let's do like a quick recap. So it's 1945. World War uh, I has ended. World War II has ended, excuse me. People have been working. They have money to spend. Things are looking up. So veterans start to return home from war and they're really eager to start building their lives. They just went and fought the war. They want to come home. They want to build their lives. Um, So they're not coming home empty handed. Um, So it was decided that when the men, these men who had fought for our country, um, they deserved some benefits to help them build like a really good, successful life when they got back home. So on June 2nd, 1944, this is when Franklin... Franklin. (laughs) I mixed President and Franklin. Sorry about that. When President Franklin Roosevelt, he signs something called the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944. This is what we typically know as the GI Bill. So the whole point of this bill is to help veterans do things like buy farms or start businesses, help to cover tuition so that these men could um, attend college, help them buy houses, things like that. So really kickstart this like brand new life that they're coming home to. So we have all of these veterans returning from war to buy houses and start a new life. And um, this got certain companies really thinking. So if companies like those that made things like automobiles were successfully using mass production types of manufacturing, why couldn't these ideas be applied to other things as well? So good news, post-war America, it turns out that a lot of things can be made using mass production. So we really like, we really take this idea and run with it. So this is where we see this company called Levitt and Sons. This this is a New York-based company that they focus on mass producing identical houses at an affordable price. So they're kind of entering the scene here. So Levitt and Sons just crank out these houses. Like I'm talking 30 houses a day at their peak. Um, and they, they are just the the name in mass-produced houses. So when Levitt and Sons were first getting started, so they first buy a ton of land in Hampstead, New York. I think it was like former potato fields. I think I remember reading that. And they um, turn this land into um, the this like new suburb and it's huge. It's like massive. So they start building thousands of these small identical suburban houses. So they call this town, this new town that they've created, Levittown. Really creative, right? <laughs> Just kidding. It's super not creative. Levin and Sons did not really go out on a limb with the name, but that's all right. We'll, we'll let it pass. So anyway, by the time the last house is built, there was over 17,000 little Levitt houses in this newly, like, minted suburban town. So this type of mass-produced house had never really been done before, so it was really popular, and it gained lots of interest and media attention. I'm going to pause because my dog is losing his mind. Must have been a squirrel or something. I'm back. Okay, so 
Levittown, hugely popular. Tons of people are interested and want to live in these new little, like, these, they're new. They're brand new. They're the place to be. So people want to live in these little Levittown houses, right? So this makes Levittown, it gets a little bit of an ego and it's really into its image. It wants people to know that when you're moving to Levittown, you're, you're getting the suburban lifestyle, the whole thing. So this actually sounds really appealing to a lot of returning veterans and their families. So like we said, America is doing well right now. Money is good, tons of jobs. Veterans could be the owner of their very own mass-produced Leave it to Beaver style house. This is And this is exactly what veteran Eugene Burnett thought as he returns home from war. So he hears about Levittown and he wants a piece of the action. So Eugene knew that the GI Bill, about this GI Bill, and he was excited that there was something put in place to help him start this new chapter of his life with his wife, Bernice. So Eugene, he goes, he makes an appointment to talk with the salesman about using his GI Bill mortgage to buy a house in Levittown. He um, goes to this appointment. He is ready for suburban life. And he is swiftly denied. Whoa, hold up. Let's just wait a minute. So Eugene, let's just like recap. Eugene Burnett serves in the war. He has access to the GI Bill, which had programs to help thousands of veterans get into houses just like those at Levittown. Why was he denied? I'm going to give you one guess. This suburban town was only available to white residents and Eugene Burnett was black. So there's clearly a major problem going on with this GI Bill, something that Eugene should have been entitled to for serving the war he now doesn't have access to. So even though the GI Bill wasn't specifically worded to exclude black soldiers, it it was structured in a way that did so. So let's talk about the major problems with the GI Bill. So for starters, when the GI Bill was created, it was determined that though this was a federally funded program, Individual States Veterans Administration, so this is what we call the VA, so we'll call the the Veterans Administration, that's the VA, they would be the ones who would administer the benefits. So we can thank the chair of the House of Veterans Committee, Mississippi Congressman John Rankin, for this. So Rankin was a guy who supported things like segregation. He opposes things like interracial marriage. He's not a real stand-up guy. He's not a great guy. So he is the one who really pushed for individual states, VA, um, chapters to be the one administering the benefits because he knew that they had more control that way with who actually got benefits. So even though in theory black veterans should have had access to the same mortgage programs as their white counterparts under this GI Bill, it turns out to be much, much harder for black veterans like Eugene to access these programs. So we have to zoom out here and really look at the late 1940s and the early 1950s America. So this is a time where post-Civil War Jim Crow laws allow for segregation. That's the norm, which is bananas, but something that happened in our past. So banks during this time would refuse to loan black Americans money and towns like Levittown's were only open to white residents. So although the GI Bill promises low mortgages with a co-sign from the VA, so a co-signer in case you need a refresher, is someone who says they will pay the loan back if you can't. So the VA would, like, be the cosigner. The actual financial institutions often refuse to give mortgages to black Americans. So, for example, according to an article I read in History.com, let's do some numbers. So in 1947, out of 3,200 VA home loans given to World War II veterans in Mississippi, just two of these, two, two, 
went to black veterans. And we see the same sort of thing happening in the North, too. The North isn't, like, immune to this. So we, out of the roughly 67,000 mortgages given to World War II veterans in New York and New Jersey, um, suburbs, less than 100 of 67,000 went to veterans that were not white. So we're starting to see white veterans able to achieve this whole like white picket fence thing in these new little communities. And black Americans are denied access to this, leaving them to live largely in less desirable inner city housing. So housing wasn't the only GI Bill benefit that black veterans were not getting their fair share of. So this wasn't just a, a mortgage thing. There was lots of other benefits that the GI Bill had in place. So Unemployment benefits were another area of the GI Bill that posed huge discrepancies for black veterans. So under the GI Bill, um, veterans should have been guaranteed a year's worth of unemployment pay. Uh, unemployment, I can't say this one, unemployment pay when they came home from war. So during the war, um, there were lots of job opportunities and because of this, many um, black Americans had access to lots and lots of uh, different job opportunities, but this rapidly decreases after the war ends. Um, And Black Americans were routinely hired for jobs that paid lower wages. So when Black veterans rightfully turned these jobs down to try to find better paying ones, the VA were notified and the Black veterans were unable to access the unemployment benefits because they had refused So the termination of unemployment was not the only reasons that um, black veterans were not getting um, their unemployment checks. So we also hear that there were certain um, post workers doing things like refusing to deliver unemployment benefits to black veterans. So we have lots of terrible things going on with this unemployment um, benefit as well. So we also have education. So this was another perk of the GI Bill with benefits for veterans that helps to offset the cost of furthering education. So like with the mortgage assistance part of the GI Bill, although black veterans were not technically excluded from this benefit in the bill's writing, they were often steered away from furthering education by VA job counselors. It was also really super hard for black veterans to find locations that they could use this hard-earned or education benefit. So because many higher education institutions were either completely segregated or had a cap on how many black students they could allow to attend. So 95% of black veterans wanting to use this tuition help from the GI Bill were sent to black colleges. And these colleges were just, they weren't prepared or able to accept this giant massive increase in the number of students and they ended up having to turn thousands of people away. So by by 1956, the original GI Bill had expired. So at this point, almost $3.3 billion in home loans had been given out and almost 8 million World War II veterans had received educational benefits. So we're seeing just huge huge jumps in things like homeownership and um, new job because of all these educational opportunities. So this whole like perfect 2.5 kids dinner on the table at five, honey, I'm home, ideal life was becoming a reality for so many Americans as a direct result from the GI Bill. But so many of the nearly 1.2 million black veterans who had risked their lives for this country during World War II were not able to access these benefits. So we can see that this ends up having like a an absolute direct result in the deepening divide in opportunities given to black and white Americans during this time. 
I think Bernice Burnett, Eugene's wife, said it best after being denied the mortgage benefits rightfully owed to her husband after serving his country as they tried to start their new life together. It was as though it wasn't real. Look at this house. Can you imagine this? Having this? And for them to tell me because of the color of my skin that I can't be part of it. So I think we hear about the GI Bill, and we, when we look at post-World War II America, it's something that we, we learn about, but the specifics and really incredible, incredibly detrimental impacts are not typically discussed. Um, it's so important to look at how devastating this bill ended up being and how great of an impact it had on so many people, um, and, and these impacts resonate and last through today. Um, so for anyone looking for more information on the GI Bill, this was like a super fast snapshot on it. Um, little tiny bite-sized little snapshot. Um, and uh, its impact on Black veterans. I have linked all of my sources in the show notes. Um, so we are going to stick with the 1950s for our next episode. So next episode, we are going to talk about a top secret government project that used illegal means to test human subjects on experiments based on mind control. I love a good weird conspiracy kind of mind controly thing, so I'm really excited to um to dive into this with you guys. Any guesses at what we're looking at? I can't wait to have you there. Have a great rest of your week. Mm-hmm.